and turn to the book of Ruth. It follows the book of Judges in the Old Testament. It's about the seventh book of the Bible. And you'll have a sermon outline in your program if you would take that out. And you have portions of the first chapter on the front. I'm actually going to read the entire first chapter now of the book of Ruth and orient us to what is going on, and then over these next number of weeks we will walk together through this text. Hear then the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Machlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband and this night should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. 
May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So far the reading of God's Word. We're going to explore together this remarkable book of the Bible. And every time I read this first chapter, my mind races to John Steinbeck's novel, The Grapes of Wrath. Did you have to read that in high school? It is perhaps the most discussed uh, book among high school students of any other American novel. And just the picture of the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma and the, the Joab family desperate making to get away, making its way to California, seeking a better life, and one tragedy after another befalls them. Heartache, and they are empty. You know, John Steinbeck uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for his writings, and he said, I did everything I could to rip the reader's nerves to rags. And I think he succeeds in that novel. And if you slow down and you read through the book of Ruth, it does the same thing to you in this first chapter. It it rips your nerves to rags. Now, we will see as we walk through the narrative, through the story in the next couple of weeks, this is not a Steinbeck tragedy It's more like a Peter Jackson film that begins with tragedy and loss and brokenness and self-awareness of one's own ruin, and yet it begins to emerge into love and passion and then redemption and then triumph. But this week, (laughs) this week, it is worse than the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma in the 1930s. There is a famine in the land, and the days are dark. And we know this from the first verse. The first verse tells us in the days when the judges ruled. And you and I go back over 3,000 years. 3,000 years we go. And the culture, there will be some strange and puzzling things, and yet we will learn that people then and people now are the same. And struggles then and struggles now are the same. And our desperate need is the same.
in the days when the judges ruled. I know our elders' Bible class worked through the book of Judges a couple of months ago. And you get to the end of the book of Judges. It starts okay, but you get to the end of the book of Judges and you see that Israel has become as bankrupt as the pagan nations around them, where God will occasionally send a a deliverer who will come in and call them back to himself, and it doesn't take long, especially in chapters 17 through 21, it doesn't take long for them to go uh, a whoring after uh, other gods and go in other ways and turn away from God, and it's a dark and bankrupt time. And in this, there's a man named Elimelech, and he moves his family, his wife, and two apparently not altogether thoughtful sons with him to Moab in that downward spiral. And Naomi finds herself there in this strange land And her husband dies. And then her sons marry Moabite women. And then her sons die. And her womb is now barren. And her daughters-in-law have had no children. And her friends are far away, and the gods of Moab are detestable. And she is old. The name Naomi means pleasant. If you have a New American Standard, it says in the notes that Naomi means pleasant. Naomi no longer wants to be called pleasant. She's got issues. My brother-in-law, he, he says, you know, he, he's, he's a believer, and he, uh, but he's not all that theologically or biblically educated. And he says, John, you want to be a good pastor? He says, rule number one, rule number one, everybody has issues. And he's right. Everybody has issues. Relational problems. We all have them. People do us dirty. People hurt us. People sin against us. People betray us. People just let us down. People forget us. People die. We lose our friendships. We don't plan it to be that way. It happens. And then not just relational problems, but personal problems. Me, I have issues. I have struggles. You do too. And the person sitting next to you may not know, may not have a clue. And I struggle with well, I'm getting older. You getting older? I struggle with the loss of of uh, my own sense sometimes of who I am, and I struggle with sin and temptation, and so do you. Relational problems, personal problems, and my own personal history. I look back and there are regrets. Am I the only person in the room here who has regrets? And those regrets, they creep up on me sometimes. And I feel them acutely. Listen, as we start this book, I can't say everything. We're going to really move through the narrative over the next number of weeks. But today, point number two is this. Point number two, one simple lesson from the book of Ruth 
is that God shows us we are free to be honest. Christians, we are free to be honest and even to lament. Lament. You know, it's an important word. It's not a common word in the English language. The word lament. What is that? A lament is when we grieve before God that the world is out of balance, that the world in which we live is broken. That's a lament. And Naomi becomes for us a picture of the Christian who is honest in their despair. Call me Mara. But it's always in reference to God. And you'll see she cites the Almighty. We know that Naomi is a covenant, someone in covenant relationship with God. She has not become a pagan Moabite worshiping Moloch or Chemosh or whoever the detestable gods are. She still references Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel. She still, she is a believer. We see she's a believer because she's talking about the God in whom she believes. And we will find there's great evidence that she has witnessed to her Moabite daughters-in-law. And we'll see more about that in such a way that she has made God attractive to Ruth and to Orpah in some fashion. So she is clearly in covenant relationship with God. She's not apostate. She hasn't turned away, but she is honest about her struggle. And my friends at the North Shore Community Church, can we say in this church that we are free to be honest? And to lament even the circumstances, the bad choices. Naomi made some, she and her husband. You know, the Bible actually is filled with this concept, not just here in the little book of Ruth, but you go through the Psalms. And of course, we read from Psalm 88 this morning, and some of you might have been uncomfortable as we recited. Donna led us through Psalm 88, and we recited together phrases like, I'm in the lowest pit. Or you have overwhelmed me with waves. Have you ever been down at the beach and been knocked on your head by the waves? You've taken from me my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. My eyes are dim with grief, and it concludes darkness is my closest friend. That's in the Bible. Psalm 10 begins, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13 begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And now Naomi laments, and we get it. It's not poetic, but we get it in verse 13, in verse 20, in verse 21, when, she, when it comes out as bitterness. And she talks about her bitterness to the daughters-in-law. And the ESV translation that I read actually makes her much more polite than she really was. Because in the Hebrew language, it is a fierce statement, 
daughters-in-law, you have it bad. It is more bitter for me than for you. It's right out there. Why? I don't know. God is God, and it is bitter for me. Down in verse 20, why? The Almighty has dealt, dealt bitterless, bitterly with me. Verse 21, the Almighty has afflicted me. What can we say to Naomi's lament? If you were there traveling with her on the road, what would you have said to Naomi? What do we say? Paul Miller, who wrote a book about this, he comments. He says, what can we say to Naomi's lament? His answer, nothing. Absolutely nothing. We just weep with her. You know, that's biblical. Me, I want to rush in with all kinds of advice. I want to show her what she should be feeling and tell her what she should be thinking. But the Bible says in Romans 12, weep with those who weep. All right? That's where we begin. And it's interesting. We don't just lecture Naomi. She actually has pretty good theology. Her her sense is that there is God, and God is good, and God is righteous, and so there's dissonance in my brain because I know God is good, and my circumstances do not seem good to me. So So her lament is off. She says, my life is off balance, but it's still with reference to God. And this is what, listen carefully, this is what makes lamenting different from complaining. I think in our Western culture, we've lost the art of lament, but oh, we are good at complaining, at least if you're a New Yorker. New Yorkers, that's in our DNA. Dissatisfaction and indignation, and I'll tell you about it why I am indignant with you, and why I'm dissatisfied with you and my lot in life. Why We're good at complaining. You know, the Bible says complaining is a sin. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. The Bible commands us, but we are good at it. Complaining is just expressing what ticks you off. Lamenting is grieving when the world's not as it should be, with reference to God, engaging God honestly from the heart. I have a friend from my church back in Philadelphia who has an autistic daughter. And my friend came to prayer meeting every Thursday morning. We had an early morning prayer meeting for several hours, and she would come And we would pray with her for her daughter, but she began to despair. And so, she would talk to God in the prayer meeting. And she would say, Lord, I continue to lift my daughter to you. 160-380-0270. That's her social security number because I think you forgot her name. And she would pray her daughter's social security number to God so that God would identify her, would know her. Now, if you're her pastor, what do you say to her? Oh, well, let me tell you, 
Um, you, have a, a, you have bad theology about God because God is omniscient. One of His attributes is omniscience. He's all-knowing. You shouldn't speak like that. Is that what a good pastor would do? No. We wept for her. We wept with her. Her road has been long and hard and continues in many ways to be hard. Point number three, what are you really like in your despair? Really like. There's a, there's a show on public television, a comedy from England, one of my favorite shows. It's called Keeping Up Appearances. Anybody ever seen Keeping Up Appearances? It is the most hilarious English comedy I've ever seen. And it's all about this woman who has to put up a front so that everybody thinks she's so much better, so much happier, and so much more together than she really is. And pity her poor husband. It is hilarious. Keeping up appearances. I highly recommend it. What are you like? Are you stoic or are you honest? Naomi is honest. You see, the the ancient Greeks have influenced the church over the years. The ancient Greeks were Stoics. You remember what a Stoic is. The Stoic is that person who prizes balance in life above all. And the showing of extreme emotion is considered immature and unwelcome, you see. And so, you know, we're reading Ruth chapter 1, and we get to verse 13 and verse 20 and 21, and we're a little uncomfortable with how honest she is before God. And we just want to give her good advice and quote Bible verses to her. One of the things I love about our Wednesday evening prayer meeting is that you can come on Wednesday nights to this church and be honest. And oftentimes we have laments don't get me wrong, our Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you've never come, please, from 7 to 8 o'clock, right in the church office next door. It's, it's a time of praise. It's a time of, of thanksgiving. It's a time of celebration and confession. But it is also a time, and there are those moments when people who come and they lift up their souls in anguish to God, and the rest of us are just there alongside you. We can't fix it, but we are there with you. Where are you given permission to be honest about your struggle. How do you keep a lament from turning into a complaint? How do you protect yourself from that kind of whining? We're not saying you just come and whine and and spout off your indignant complaints. Well, I think... One thing is that you and I need to listen to ourselves. Do you listen to yourself when you pray and when you talk? It's like that your dad used to say, think before you speak. That was good advice that he gave you. Think before you speak. Even think a little bit before you pray. Listen to yourself. Am I just just gushing negative acid out there, or am I trying to reference my unhappy circumstances and relationships and personal issues? Am I trying to reference it somehow to God? 
listen. Let's listen to ourselves. That's, when's, you know, maybe your dad hasn't told you that for a while. Think before you speak and listen to yourself when you talk. Naomi is clearly tuned in. She knows herself. She knows what she's saying, and it is deliberate. She's a good example to us of this. The Apostle Paul spoke of his thorn in the flesh for the whole world to know about. And he labored. We don't know if it was an emotional thorn or if it was a physical malady or a spiritual distress. We don't really know. But we do know he had it and he bore with it and God just said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Peter, oh my Peter, Peter, he was around as the Gospels were being written and his denial of Christ's is right there in all of them. And he had to live with it. Weakness. You know, one of the core values in our church, we we list them. If if, if you're new to us, you know, you received an invitation to our New to North Shore luncheon today, I hope you'll stay for a quick lunch after church with us. One of the things that makes us tick as a church is we, we say in our core values that we minister from weakness. And that does not play well in New York. Why? Because this is not Long Island. This is Strong Island. And someone says, how you doing? And you say, never better, you see. I have people, they come to me and they say, maybe you've done this, I'm not pointing you out, but they come to me and they say, how are you doing? Great? How's everything? Great? you know what, if you're going to ask me how I'm doing, don't answer my question for me. Now, I realize when they say great, that's an expression of, I, I hope things are well with you. Uh, that's probably where it's coming from. But they're telling me the answer they want me to tell them, and maybe I'm not doing great, and maybe you're not doing great. I'm weak. I need Jesus. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. That's my answer to you. Is that your answer? Paul is humbled. Peter is humbled. But who is humbled the most? Who is the man of sorrows? Who is acquainted with grief? And this is the fourth point. And we read the great prophecy of Isaiah 53 that foreshadows the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus comes into the world. And Jesus is the man of sorrows. Jesus is the one acquainted with grief. Jesus is the one who is struck and flogged, despised. It says he was despised and rejected by men. There's one from whom men hid their faces. I don't, you know, I'm walking down the other side of the street. I don't even want to be associated with Jesus. They esteem him not. And verse 10, okay, Jesus had relational struggles. And then verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And his own relationship with the Father is broken as he becomes the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Do you remember the day Jesus is with the the disciples? You know, it's like he's with the elders of the church. And he says, guys, We're going up to Jerusalem now. 
And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging Him, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will rise. But the next verse, verse 34 But they understood none of these things. They did not grasp what he said. Oh, how his heart must have ached. And yet, he became for you and for me the man of sorrows who steps into the world. That, you know, Christmas is coming. Happy Christmas, the time of incarnation. Christ comes. But Christ comes to be the man of sorrows, to acquaint himself with your grief and your pain and your suffering. This is a mystery, my friends, but we are told he was tempted like us. Oh, do you have relational suffering? Jesus was betrayed and abandoned, despised and rejected. Physical suffering. Jesus suffered hunger and thirst and nails driven through his hands and through his feet. Emotional suffering. Jesus is humiliated, despised, mocked, and isolation. Loneliness, true loneliness and isolation, is one of the worst experiences a human can go through. And Jesus was alone. John 1.10. You know, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Now, Naomi returned back to Bethlehem, and they welcomed her back. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, and the world did not know him. We sing a song in this church. Should he who made the stars be hung upon a tree? And should the hands that healed be driven through for me? Should he who gave us bread be made to swallow gall? Should he who gave us breath and life be slaughtered for us all? Should he who is the light be cast into the dark? And should the Lord of love be pierced through his own heart? Should he who called us friends be deserted by us all? Should he who lived a sinless life be punished for our fall? And he is the one who says, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't our Savior a beautiful Savior. And he who became the man of sorrows became the substitute for our sins so that we can come to God and we come through Jesus Christ to the Father with who we are. We are going to close this service now and I'm going to invite you, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer in a moment. I'm going to welcome you to pray. Maybe you know someone today 
who is in that dark night, and you would like maybe an elder of the church to pray with you for them. You come forward, or maybe you'll say, (laughs) not so fast, it's me. I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. I need help to lament this morning. We're Presbyterians. We don't do this sort of thing very well. But in a moment, I will just invite elders and their wives to just be up front here and for you to come and let them pray with you while we sing this great old English hymn. And the hymn is a song of lament. The tune is beautiful, but the words say, Abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens. And in some of your lives, you would say, you know, John, the darkness is deepening. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail, my pastor fails me, the elders fail me, my husband fails me, my wife fails me. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless. Who is the help of the helpless? It is Jesus Christ. And we say, abide with me. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you today for the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, who not only suffered as we suffer, but Jesus Christ who became sin for us to clean us, to cleanse us, and to present us to the Father so that now as we pray, even our laments and our frustrations, our sorrows, our griefs, we bring them to you. And we bring them to you honestly. We ask in the coming weeks that we might see your redemption and your triumph. But today, O Lord, we remember that we are free to be honest. Lord, someone might be here and they would say, I wish I had the courage to come forward for prayer. I pray that you give us the liberty to come forward pray for myself or for someone I love. But we're going to do this work now, Lord. We may not know their social security number, but we're going to lift them up to you. Abide with me, help of the helpless, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I do invite elders to come up.